Greetings, Greenhouse people, and welcome to another installment of Tech On Demand, where our goal is always to bring you tips, tricks, and information to produce your best crop ever. I'm your host, Bill Calkins, and I'm happy to be joined today by Dr. Todd Cavins, a technical manager for Ball Horticultural Company and part of the Ball Tech On Demand team. Todd, thanks for joining me today. You bet, Bill. Glad to be back with you today. So we're back to talk about at-risk crops and the inherent challenges with specific crops grown across North America. At-risk crops are the ones you probably know well, plants that often come under pressure from specific pests and diseases. Todd joins us to focus on peppers today, ornamental and edible, with the goal of helping you manage potential issues using strong preventative strategies and putting programs in place to minimize risk. So Todd, why don't you share your screen and kick us off with a quick discussion about heading off potential challenges with at-risk crops. And for more of an in-depth look at this, be sure to listen to Dr. Will Healy's at-risk crop overview. But Todd, why don't you give us the quick version? Yeah, okay, so I'm sharing this slide with you that's from uh, Will Healy's uh, presentation or, or podcast from not uh, just not too long ago. So there's a lot of great information on this one slide with just a few bullet points. Um, so we're gonna talk about these a little bit more in depth for the pepper plant in particular that we're dealing with and a couple of risks that it goes with. But, you know, let's just talk about it. You know, getting a good solid input, you know, making sure it's been seed, it's tested, and, and uh, we know that it comes from a good reliable source. Same with a URC or a rooted liner. Make sure that you've got a good reputable source that has a great sanitation and disease management program. Clean production facility. This is a big topic for me. Sanitation, sanitation, sanitation. It's absolutely important. Optimum cultural requirements. If we don't treat the plants nice, they're not going to treat us nice, okay? So another thing that Will touched on that is really important, and I'll share some examples with you today, but it's really incumbent upon each grower to really research and find out what's best for them, but the right chemical at the right time, targeting the right life stage of the insect, getting the right coverage amount. Does it need to be a drench? Does it need to spray? There's all kinds of factors that go into that. And then, hey, just monitoring and controlling all those pests that come into it. Because one of the factors we're gonna talk about today is actually a disease that's vectored by the thrips insects. So great overview by Will, go in more depth with him, but let's, we can move on today and talk a little bit more specifically about peppers. Excellent, thanks Todd, that was a great lead in. And like you said, now it is time to jump into peppers, which is our topic for the day. So can you start by sharing some of the risk factors related to peppers and perhaps any differences growers should be aware of, if any, when growing ornamental and edible crops? Well, that's a very good point that there's both ornamental and edible peppers. And, you know, most of the folks that who are in the side of an industry that I deal with, we're thinking about ornamental peppers for the most part, or even if they're edible, they're grown for or ornamental purposes. But to be safe and to think about the, you know, the health and safety of our consumers out there, I want to treat all the peppers basically as edible peppers. And I want to take the extra precaution and make sure we apply the appropriate chemicals and have appropriate culture that makes it safe for that customer or that consumer. So let's think about let's approach it from the safe aspect because we don't have control what the consumer is doing with that product once it gets into their hands but let's talk about a few of the risk factors because they're the same whether they're ornamental or edible okay number one on the list bacteria leaf spot okay this is xanthomonas is the bacteria uh, 
that has to be identified in a laboratory with some laboratory procedures, but um, usually just getting it off to a disease, a disease lab, they can quickly tell you whether or not it's a bacteria and then you know what you're dealing with. So there's a lot of specifics and the, the pathologists have a lot of naming conventions and things like that that get a little confusing, but let's just refer to it as bacterial leaf spot and know what we need to do with it from that point. What's it look like? Well, it can depend on what your pepper looks like. So you can see here, I have a couple of pictures uh, for those that are watching the slideshow that you know a green leaf pepper, a bacterial leaf spot, may actually start out as a black, greasy, or oily, or water-soaked appearance. It may have a yellow halo. If you have a dark leaf variety, though, you may never see that dark stage of it, and you may see more of the result of a dead spot, you know, uh, kind of a dry papery look. That's an advanced symptom of it because we weren't able to see the bacterial leaf spot due to the color. So there can be a little bit of differences between the varieties depending on what your leaf color and what it looks like. But basically, we're generally looking for kind of a greasy or a water-soaked appearance, a spot for the most part, okay? Uh, so that's the number one thing we want to talk about. Um, the other big risk factor we're going to talk about today are tospoviruses. And there's about 25 tospoviruses out there. We are mainly concerned with two, and those two are tomato spotted wilt virus and impatient necrotic spot virus. And as I mentioned just a moment ago, these are vectored by the thrips, okay? So when we talk about tomato spotted wilt virus, we're not necessarily concerned about something that's seed borne or came in on the plants. It usually happens when the thrips around our greenhouses have this virus inside of them and they transmit it once they start to feed on our crops. So those are the two main things we're gonna look at today. Excellent. All right. Well, I appreciate that. That uh, gives the growers definitely something to look for, the bacterial leaf spot and the tospoviruses. So what are the strategies and programs to minimize and manage the risk? I guess, how should growers address their pepper crops to help ensure success? Okay, well, let's circle back to some of those things we talked about just at the start of the conversation. And one is uh, using treated or tested seeds. So most of these ornamental peppers, essentially all of them we're getting, they're as seed crops, you might, might buy them as plugs, but it's okay to reach out to your plug grower and say, hey, are you using tested seed, okay? So we wanna start with a clean source, okay? That's your number one thing to do. Then if you're growing them from seed, or if even if you're getting them in as young plants, let's start a, pray, a spray program early. So if you're growing the plants from seeds, it's as soon as those cotyledons unfold, we're gonna to wanna to start a regimen to combat bacterial leaf spot. Because that bacterial leaf spot, while it could have been on the seed, but if we were, are using seed that's been tested, it's unlikely it's there, but it could be around on our benches, it could be on our potting soil and things like that. So every time we have new growth, the new growth needs to be sprayed and protected. So start early with that program. We'll talk about some of those chemistries and some of those nuances in just a moment as well. The other thing, if you can, and now this is hard to do with young plants, but in finished containers, we can do it even a better job of it, but we wanna avoid splashing water and wet foliage. Especially in mature, mature plants, this is where we see the infection really start, and it's the secondary spread from one plant that may have expressed the symptoms or have the symptoms and then splashing water spreads it to the plants nearby. So the number one thing you can do is avoid splashing water on the foliage, okay? So if you are in a position to sub-irrigate, irrigate with drip tape or drip tubes, 
you're in much better shape to prevent this disease. Another thing from a cultural perspective is, limp, is kind of watching what type of fertilizers you use. Now, most of us use a 20-10-20 fertilizer. Good fertilizer for most of the greenhouse, greenhouse operations out there. However, this has just a little bit of an extra ammonium feed compared to something like a plug fertilizer, like a 13-2-13. And I bring this up because the plug type fertilizers have higher amounts of nitrate. It gives you a little tone, more toned plant. It's a little sturdier. When you have a sturdier plant, a little bit sturdier foliage, you can actually even sometimes feel the thickness of the leaves. That helps resist some of the diseases like bacterial leaf spot. So those are a couple of the things that we need to take into consideration as kind of a holistic approach to it. I think another really valid point on kind of a holistic approach to this is don't stress your plants. So we mentioned very good culture is, is a key here. And one of the things you'll see is even if that bacteria is gonna be around, okay? So that's why we need to treat for it. But we've also got to keep our plant active and healthy, okay? So just do everything you can. We don't want drought stress, even though we commonly use that on vegetables to help control height. That may not be a great choice for peppers because when they get stressed, they will be more susceptible to disease. So get your nutrition right, good pH and EC program, get your irrigation correct, and get the water off the foliage. All right, let's take a look at some of your, or talk about some of the spray options that are out there. There are quite a good amount, especially now in the last five to 10 years of biological products that we can apply to our foliage to help protect against bacterial leaf spot. When you read the literature and you start to look at it, you'll see some that were not successful in one trial, but were very successful in the next trial, okay? There are just some nuances we don't quite know yet, I think, about using some of these biological fungicides or bactericides. However, I still feel they're a good option to use in a rotation program between some of my maybe heavier duty chemicals, um, and they're very safe for our, our workers and our customers as well. So they're a good option. We're getting better and better information all the time on how to use, how to handle these types of products. So take a look at the list. It may be something like a Bacillus septalis, or it may be something like a trichoderma, okay, a Bacillus amyloliquifagians. There's quite a few out there, and, and I, I would be the wrong person to give you all the specific details, but there's lots of good options out there. So take a look at those, even if you're not necessarily in an organic or softer pesticide mindset, it still is a great choice. Another, there's another couple of chemicals out there that aren't labeled as bactericides or actually fungicides, but actually have a little bit of suppressive activity against bacteria. And those one would be something like Mancozet, okay? Um, and you may not see bacteria specifically on the label, but our pathologists tell us when they do the trials, they do see some suppressive results from Mancozeb as well as Dacanil. So I would inco incorporate one of those two products into a rotation program. But our rock stars for bacterial leaf spot suppression and prevention, okay? We can't cure it once it sets in. There's just nothing that we can do that with, but we can suppress and we can prevent. And the number one products we can use are the copper fungicides or bactericides. Now, you can get into some different details about, you know, which one is better. There's about four or five different kind of active ingredient groups within copper bactericides. One such as the, uh, Phyton, Phyton 35, it's a copper sulfate, it's highly soluble, it gets down into the tissue a little bit, maybe provides some systemic-like protection. 
The others, such as copper hydroxides or copper salts of fatty acids, they stay on the surface. And what they do is that copper on the surface interferes with the bacteria and doesn't allow it to grow and reproduce. So as I was talking about earlier, if we have new foliage that's growing and exposing itself and expanding, we have to get a treatment on it. So if you're dealing with a high risk crop such as peppers, you may wanna have a weekly spray that includes one of the beneficial bacteria or fungicide, fung bactericides or fungicides. Rotate that with a good solid program of like Mancozeb or Dacanil, and then look to your workhorses as your coppers as something that really can suppress these diseases. Okay, that was our high risk of bacterial leaf spot. Now let's switch, switch, uh, switch topics here. Let's talk about those TOSPO viruses. And again, I mentioned there are kind of a group of viruses, the two main ones we're concerned about in patients necrotic spot virus and in um, tomato spotted wilt virus. So what are we gonna do to prevent those? Thrips, we've got to manage our thrips population, okay? And part of that, the number one thing you can do is we don't hear it talked about as much these days, but it's an integrated pest management program. It's just a holistic approach to managing pests in and around your greenhouse, okay? It starts with, as I say, sanitation, observation, and application. So you kind of got three aspects to it. You got to start clean and stay clean. If you haven't listened to some of our podcasts on sanitation, if you haven't heard me talk about it before, one of my favorite things is sanitizing a greenhouse with an acidified soap and then coming in with the quaternary ammonium. The plug growers that I work with at Ball Seed, they have found that their thrips, their fungus gnat populations dramatically decreased years ago when they started using this type of system. So go back and listen to some of that information that really works well. Another thing I want to emphasize is this is not just pest management in your greenhouse, but surrounding your greenhouse. It really doesn't do you a lot of good to spray your plants inside with an insecticide if you have open greenhouses, no insect screening. What's gonna happen is those pests are just gonna go outside of your greenhouse for, for a few hours until the pesticide is no longer present, and then they're gonna come back in. So weeds under and around your benches, weeds outside your greenhouses, those are key reservoirs for these pests and ultimately the disease, the TOSPO virus diseases. So what can you do? I mentioned uh, a few moments ago is we're gonna approach this that all peppers are ornamental peppers to be safe for our consumers. So I would highly encourage you to look to the eGrow group. They have a great publication on pesticides for greenhouse vegetables. And if for those of you that may be looking at our slideshow today, I have a list of those. And what's kind of interesting about those is some of those are pretty old chemistries. They tend to be the organophosphates and the pyrethroids, okay? Not a whole lot of options out there. I would say, you know, one of the things you may have to do is get outside your comfort zone, reach out to your vegetable extension specialist, find out what products are out there for them. Some of those older chemistries also are kind of dangerous in an aspect. They may be uh, high-risk pesticides, um, or they may have very high restricted re-entry re intervals. So take a look at some of those things. But uh, you know, we have things like orthene, that's one of the top options. Uh, the pyrethroids that I've mentioned um, are very popular, such as bifenthrin products. 
There are some other products out there. There's a product called Radiant, which is very similar to the Conserve that most of us are very uh, familiar with. The Radiant is somewhat like a Conserve, but labeled for greenhouse vegetables. And there's a couple of other options as well. Safari, if you don't mind using the neonicotinoids. And again, let's bring back in our biological options. There's products out there such as Botanigard, which is a Bouveria bassiana, that can help suppress, especially early on when populations are low. So we do have quite a few options, but again, these are not just your average pesticides. You have to make sure that they are labeled appropriately and they are safe for your vegetable crops. When talking about pesticides with vegetables, there's a few other things to consider as well. Uh, I mentioned the restricted reentry interval. Uh, we need to think about proper rotation so we don't get pesticide resistance. But you also may need to think about things such as post-harvest interval, okay? How long, must, how long of time must it happen before you apply it versus when, a, when fruit is set or when fruit is harvested. So a few other things to think about, but all in all, not too restrictive, just may have to think a little bit differently and use, reach back deeper into the chemical cabinet compared to what you do on a regular basis. Excellent. I think um, it's great to see that there are a lot of options for control. Um, but like you said, a lot of this comes down to starting clean, staying clean throughout the process, remembering to uh, stay on top of your sanitation. Um, I will uh, put links to Todd's previous podcast on sanitation, as well as an article uh, that he recently wrote for Grower Talks into the show notes. I'll also include the link to the eGrow information on uh, greenhouse vegetables. I think that that is another excellent resource. And while we're talking about resources, let me call out some uh, of the additional tech on demand resources we have available. First is a set of at-risk crop guides or white papers that are available at ballseed.com slash quickculture slash production guides. You can find the link in the show notes. Also is a tech on demand podcast that's brought to you by Grower Talks. And in addition to episodes like this one, you're going to find many other podcasts covering a range of greenhouse specific topics with more being added all the time. And when we do create a podcast out of a, you know, that what might be a video presentation, I also put a link to the slideshow in the show notes so that you can view that slideshow and see some of the images that might have been referenced, as well as the uh, chemistry charts that were that were talked about. So you can subscribe to Tech On Demand on your favorite podcast app, like Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and more, or visit growertalks.com slash tech on demand. So I think that that wraps up what we're talking about today, which was peppers as an at-risk crop. Todd gave you some of the risk factors to look for, as well as risk management protocols to follow. So Todd, thanks so much for your time today and for all that you and the team do to help growers succeed with at-risk crops. Absolutely, Bill. Great to help out and join the team. Great. Well, I'm Bill Calkins with Tech On Demand, wishing you a fantastic season. Stay safe and well out there, and we'll be back with more crops in the future.